There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Drive live. Talks legal. We are talking legal today and a very warm welcome. Great to have you back, Cleve Miller. Great to be back. Do you have a lovely trip? I did, but I'm still in shock and awe of this new beautiful <laughs> studio. <laughs> it's I have forgotten fancy. all about my trip. It's we're pretty all, fancy. We're isn't blase it? now about this. It's just normal. Look at me, I'm lounging. I can tell. Yeah. And yeah, I feel a little bit of like a child in a candy store. Yeah, it's very different, but nice to have you here. Nice to welcome you to the new studios. And you are here to answer people's questions. We've had a couple of questions in for you already. We will get to them. But if you do want to ask Lude Miller a question, it does get very busy. The uh, number 4001 or via the free messaging app. You can call us. We do have a new number. It's 04871 going to keep saying that that it's a new number until it sticks. But we're going to start with a couple of new stories first, Lude Miller. This one in particular is about the Dubai notary has begun offering a new service. Tell us a bit more detail because we hear lots about new services being offered. A lot of the time, you know, we're excited by this because it means it's going to make something a bit easier for us. Indeed. And in uh, uh, with regards to this particular story, what makes it even more interesting is that often we hear about uh, new developments and new initiatives before they're actually implemented. Uh, here, this is a bit different. Um, we haven't really actually heard any news uh, about this particular development. We actually just found um, the, uh, the sort of the initiative already in in effect uh, by just uh, browsing, I guess, browsing the, uh, the the Dubai notary and the Dubai courts. So there was a brochure at the Dubai notary uh, outlining this new system. So in fact, what I'm about to describe is already in effect. So unlike so many other stories we mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, this is already in place, and the notaries are already well versed in uh, in applying the system. And we've met and discussed with them, so it truly is um, um, is is ready and uh, waiting for customers, if you will. So the idea here is this: is that the notary these days will not, uh, will attest a new type of document, uh, basically acknowledging a debt between two parties. So let me just to make it more. Um, uh, more, uh, I guess, understandable, uh, contextualized. Let's say Tim and I, um, I, I want to borrow money from Tim. So Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's reverse that. <laughs> Tim wants to borrow money from me. More, more likely, likely scenario. <laughs> so let's say it's 100,000 dirhams. So how in the past, how would we have secured that particular transaction or how would I have secured my... Uh, my loan to you. Um, so the traditional way was obviously the, the post-dated checks uh, for the 100,000 dirhams. Uh, and since the the amendments to the um, uh, the prosecution of post-dated checks, you know, the post-dated checks have become a little less uh, less um, strong in terms of um, guarantees because now if before whenever there's a bounce check, the person who issued a bounce check would automatically go to jail and that would provide for a very convenient leverage for the parties to negotiate some sort of a settlement. Um, as of about a year ago, perhaps a little less, um, now it's um, it, only if the check is over 200,000 dirhams will it result in potential uh, in potential jail sentence. Otherwise, it's just a fine. So therefore, for that person who loaned money, it's no longer... 
uh, as strong of a, uh, of a guarantee as it used to be. Um, so what are the other options? Well, obviously, the other option is, uh, and that's always been the case, is a contract. But going back to me and Tim, so mm. the, Tim and I, we um, uh, draft a contract where it clearly outlines I um, lend Tim 100,000 dirhams, and he has to pay it back to me within whatever period of time. Now, if Tim doesn't pay me, what happens? I have to ultimately go to court, and I can walk through that um, through that after I describe the new system. So now instead of doing a contract, um, uh, we, Tim and I, can go to the notary, the Dubai notary, and they have a template where basically it's 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 their kind of lock template. So we have to provide them with some details. In in short, he and I have to be there in person, and we'll tell them, okay, so there is an amount, there has to be a specific amount that um, that is in uh, in question. So there cannot be, for example, I will give you my car, or I'm loaning you my car. So you have to put a specific value, and then also when it's supposed to be repaid. Now, let's say it's 100,000 dirhams and you promise to repay it to me in six months. So the notary will, using their own template, will notarize that particular document. Um, And then um, six months pass and you don't pay me. So I now go back to that same notary and the notary will, basically using that same document, needs, um, needs to be an original will add its execution stamp. So it's sort of like a court, it becomes like a yeah. court judgment. Uh, so, and then with this execution stamp, it's basically an acknowledgement of debt that Tim owes me money. Um, and it's an official acknowledgement of debt on, on the basis of which I can now file an enforcement action. And that is, and that's, a, that's a, a, you know, that's so in summary, uh, it, perhaps uh, decreases the process of, of filing an enforcement action from anywhere from a year to two uh, to basically two or three days. Uh, and so, and then with this execution instrument, then I, I, can, uh, I can file a case for enforcement, which, much, which is much more of an administrative step, uh, where then I ask the court to, for example, find Tim's um, assets and bank accounts and just seize his money to pay off this particular, uh, this particular debt. In other words, uh, I don't need to prove to the judge or anyone else that there was a transaction between us uh, and that the terms of the transaction, this document that had originally been notarized by the notary, um, and then later the notary added um, its ex- executory stamp is as good as basically the final court of cassation judgment. So this is not just uh, a very effective uh, form of authorization, if you like, of debt between two people, not, not just about personal debt. This could be used in all kinds of circumstances. Yes. Okay. And let's say, let's take a scenario. I'm a slippery character, as you've probably noticed. And <laughs> after six months, I don't pay you the 100,000 dirhams that I've uh, borrowed from you, and you have the the notary's uh, stamp on that piece of paper. You have the original. You go to uh, the notary and say, "Look, I want the execution uh, stamp on there." What proof do you need to offer that I haven't paid? It's a great question. I don't have to prove anything. I just basically you can just go yeah, there I and do go, that. Yeah. Then, but then when I move, when I file a, a case for enforcement, obviously you will then have a chance to counter. Let's say if I'm making yeah. a bogus right. claim, you will have a chance. Or let's say out of a hundred thousand dirhams, you paid me fifty thousand. So at the enforcement stage, you will have a chance to uh, submit your proof as to how much money you have already paid, if any. Uh, and so you'll have an opportunity to counter at that point in time. The reason I ask that is because we've had a number of questions. If you think NLT, over the mm-hmm. time that uh, Drive Live Talks Legal has been on, you've been coming into Dubai Eye for a long time. There have been lots and lots of cases of disputes between people which have escalated, and they are very simply personal disputes with people who've said, look, I learned my friend 300,000 dirhams he didn't pay, and it became a very difficult legal route to chase that money down, uh, which is... 
unfortunate, but there are also cases where people are perhaps paying, trying to pay, and you could effectively perhaps call in a debt and cause a person an issue if you wanted to without any proof in theory. Well, I mean, you could you could start that way, but since you're going right. through the official channels and ultimately it's only the court has the authority to be able to enforce a particular, uh, particular instrument, and so in this case, it still will have to go through the court, so you will have your chance in court, so to speak, and therefore you will always mm-hmm. have the opportunity to object to my claim and produce whatever evidence either to the contrary or ask the court for a, some some sort of a, a payment plan. And the courts right. here are quite receptive to that. So it's not that just because I have this instrument that all of a sudden your life will turn upside down if you are that one uh, that one person who actually wants to pay pay off your debt in good faith and you just your circumstances are, are, are just difficult to, to do it in one shot. So you, you have plenty of opportunity to do this, but it's more about getting to the stage of enforcement. Enforcement Generally speaking, if before this instrument, before this new system, uh, before you get to enforcement, it'll take you a year to two. And so let's kind mm. of just re- reverse that scenario. If we didn't have this instrument, it, you just, you'd be you and I would have this, the, the, the agreement that yeah. outlined this transaction. We'd have to have a, get it translated uh, into legally translated. We'd have to file a court case. Basically, I would have to file a court case to prove that, first of all, to serve you. And then I have to prove that this agreement is legitimate. And then I would have a new – you could potentially then argue the validity of the agreement, you see. But with this – so it, it can be anywhere from a year to two before we're even able to um, to get to enforcement. Um, so this obviously um, so takes that um, that stage um, out, of, out of the equation, which makes it a lot more efficient. Now, the application – I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that this, this has potentially very broad applications for everyone, not just individuals, as you said. But there are many individuals that do want to help each other, but mm. they always worry about securing their interests, but also for small businesses or for businesses. We have so many clients um, who are in trading, and, and they have a lot of unpaid invoices. And these are invoices for 10,000 dirhams, 30,000 dirhams, 50,000 dirhams. So cumulatively, they add up to a fairly large amount. But individually, none of them is sufficient enough from a commercial standpoint to actually file a separate case. And unfortunately, yeah. there's no other way but filing a separate case for every single invoice. Now, with this instrument, potentially, you could just go and every time you have sort of an invoice like that or an amount that's at stake, you could have a notary uh, attested and that um, will provide potentially a huge relief to small businesses. Okay, we're talking legal. Our guests, as you just heard, Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. Um, Ludmilla, uh, this is your first time in the new studio, so we're all getting used to it. Bit you're kind of settling in now, but we've had a question for you from Aid, and we've just been talking about the new notary service and it's a new way of doing things, particularly if Tim or I or, or you and Tim had an agreement and you wanted to talk about money. This person in particular has a very different situation. It says, hi, guys, I have a court case against an old company. The court ruled in my favor and I've just opened an execution case. So this would negate that process in future. However, the company has closed, although the owner's slash directors are still in Dubai. How will I get my money owed if the execution is against the now defunct company? Um, well, that's that's a tricky question and for a number of reasons and also depends on the type of case um, that was filed. So uh, now your judgment is against the corporation. So it's, it's a legal entity, not the individual's. 
uh, that you were saying that in the, the corporation is now defunct. Um, that being said, the corporation you know, being being defunct can mean many different things. But ultimately, uh, the first point um, is to start chasing potential assets, or whatever else is still owned by the corporation. And so for now, again, the party is the company itself. Uh, so that's your starting point. And uh, that may include, as part of the execution, you ask the court to request um, various banks to see if any banks hold any any uh, bank accounts and funds uh, for that particular company. Uh, then, uh, then any other government authorities, such as, for example, RTA or Dubai Land Department, uh, to see whether that entity um, owed, uh, owned any real estate assets or cars, vehicles, or boats, or, or any other assets that you might be able to liquidate. Uh, to satisfy your judgment, and and you just keep sort of walking uh, walking down the list, and then some of the other issues on the list is ultimately uh, seizing the office and uh, freezing the license. But in this case, it sounds like you, the company is defunct, so perhaps all that is either has already been done or is uh, largely irrelevant. So at that point, if you've exhausted all the um, um, all the the paths that would lead to chasing corporate assets, uh, then you start moving on to the manager. So let's say that I mean, obviously the company had a manager on the tr- on the license, and then depends on who owned the company. If the company was owned by individuals uh, or by uh, corporate entities, uh, the process might be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, you could you could go um, after the the manager uh, potential of the company to to seek um, to seek. I mean, actually, it won't really help you monetarily. Uh, but in this case, if the company is not paying assets, you can actually request the court to. Uh, to jail the the manager again, that's a criminal sanction. Doesn't mm. really give you money, but it certainly can act as leverage in in trying to get your settle your payment um, um, of, of the judgment. But obviously, it only makes sense if the manager somehow and the owner or the decision makers of the company and one the same. Because if the manager is just another person, it's it's not likely that the, the owners of the companies will want to bail um, that person out. But that option is available. Um, and um, and other than that, uh, it's the companies here. Most of the companies are what's called limited liability. So mm. the companies and uh, the individuals involved are only really uh, liable, um, limited to the share capital of that company. And in most cases, fifty thousand dirhams, for example, it's even two hundred fifty thousand dirhams. Um, so beyond that, you cannot really reach the assets, personal assets of the shareholders and the directors, unless. Uh, what we call it in the West, you can pierce the corporate veil. Uh, but the piercing the corporate veil is not a very common principle yet in the UAE, and you really need to have very... Um, uh, very st- strong evidence um, to basically be able to, to to pierce the corporate veil, and that usually means breach of trust or fraud mm. or some kind of uh, some kind of imp- uh, truly criminal improprieties. And you know, that usually to establish that, you would need to bring a separate case uh, before you're able to pierce the corporate veil. So, unfortunately, unless the company itself had some or still has some kind of assets uh, available, it may be that you're chasing the rainbow. Uh, And it's only because ultimately if the company is a limited liability, you will not be able to reach the directors and the and the um, the shareholders' personal assets. Um, now, there are some companies that are set up as sole establishments. Um, those companies have unlimited liability, and in that case, you could go and after the personal assets uh, of uh, of the of the owners of the companies. Uh, but in this case, it sounds like if you're mentioning several people, uh, then that's probably not likely. So, unfortunately, it may not 
really lead to anything, but certainly don't don't give up until you've received from the court the the full report on what assets the company has or does not have. I would continue chasing. Okay, we have um, a caller on the line. I believe we have Jamal, who's had an issue with a contract. Jamal, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Good afternoon. Um, do you want to tell Ludmilla your question, Jamal? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. My question is, I've uh, for the past one year, I've invested in a private business and I had a private agreement with them. And it has two clauses. The first one was, uh, like the first party was supposed to give me a security uh, check, uh, just in case of uh, security. And the second one is, if either of the parties wants to back out, they want to give the other parties uh, a good two months notice. So... I've already done that. I've given him two months' notice, and I've, I'm yet to receive my money back. So where do I stand legally? Because it's a private agreement, and I'm not too sure if I can approach the court or the police or I don't know. Uh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a perfect example uh, that leads us back to the early discussion. So in this case, you have a contract. Instead of, for example, what we're talking about, that's the notary declaration of indebtedness. Um, that's the new system that exists today with the Dubai notary. Uh, so you have a contract. A contract sets out uh, parties' respective rights and obligations. In your case, in relevant terms, uh, there was an amount of money that uh, you loaned and a time for repayment. Well, now the breach has already happened for whatever reason, because either because you have not been repaid or because the security checks were not given to you or because uh, you've you've terminated as per the agreement, but the other party has not responded. So one way or the other, the other party sounds like it it, it has breached. Um, right. That's but but. Uh, still, all you're talking about is a, is, is a contract, and a contract until it has some official stamp, i.e., either notary or, or, or it is a court judgment, is just that. It's just a piece of paper. So in of itself, it doesn't really give you anything. It doesn't act. It doesn't really have authority to do anything. So for you to, do, to act on it, you actually need to take steps forward, such as filing a court case. So, and that's really the only way for you to try to enforce because if you had security checks, you could obviously have um, cashed those. But uh, since you don't, so the only way for you uh, to, um, to try to recover you know, the money is, is to enforce the agreement. To enforce the agreement means that you need, ha- you need to, go to, uh, to, to go to court. Obviously, it's, if you can negotiate some sort of a private um, settlement, it's always better because it's, it's faster and cheaper. Uh, but yeah. in... in the, in the scenario that you described, that's probably not likely. So your only recourse is going to court. Now, when you go to court, I think one of the comments you made is that you're not sure if the court will enforce the agreement. Uh, generally speaking, right. a, 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 unless agreement is, if there's any clauses in the agreement itself that, or the agreement itself is somehow against public policy uh, or public order, then the courts will, will enforce it. And mm. a simple agreement such as I give you money and you... Uh, and there's an obligation to repayment. Um, you know, it's 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 a fairly common uh, contractual document. Uh, that being said, you know, there's one one thing that we have seen: these agreements can be challenged. They can be challenged on, on all sorts of grounds. But one of the grounds we've seen is that if you've loaned money with interest, uh, then I think in Arabic it's it's called riba or something. It's basically a haram. It's not. It's you as an individual cannot charge interest. Um, so right. we have seen similar agreements being invalidated on the basis of um, of that particular clause. But if you don't have anything like that, and it just basically says you know, there's a repayment of X amount, then the contract will be uh, will be uh, held valid unless obviously there are some other grounds that the other side brings up in trying to challenge it. 
Um, and then, and then after that, you just have to go through the process. You have to uh, accept the. Uh, you have to wait for the court to validate the contract, and then issue a judgment in your favor for that particular amount. And then you have to have to um, uh, for execution, which is what A just described. In his case, it's um, it's not a simple process, and it mm. takes time, yeah. money, and patience. And and Lude Miller, would you um, recommend to Jamal at this point that he needs to engage the services of a lawyer, or is it at this point he can do some of this himself? Uh, you can do much of this um, yourself. It's just, Jamal, I'm not sure if you speak Arabic. Obviously, the speaking Arabic helps a great deal because you can draft a lot of things on your own. Uh, but even mm-hmm. if you don't, um, then there are legal translators. So everything you submit in court has to be in Arabic. So the agreement that you were talking about would have to be legally translated with a stamp of a legal uh, translator, uh, a court-certified translator, so not just somebody who speaks Arabic. Uh, and then okay. you present your case, you pay the court fees. So m- much of this you can do on your own own uh, you just need to make sure because something like this if it's a simple agreement then you can at least start the process yeah. uh, simply and if the other side responds and they're making legal arguments at that point in time you may want to uh, to re- at least seek advice of some lawyers in terms of responding to those specific legal arguments but if it's just basically here you owe me this m- money and uh, the, you know there's no sort of legal uh, legal positions to um, to discuss, then you may be able to um, to see the whole case and manage the whole case on your own. We certainly have seen this uh, be done successfully. So if you have the, the time and the resilience um, and interest in learning the legal system, um, the, the, there are no uh, there are no impediments for you to bring a case on your own. Sure. Thank you so much. That helps. Okay, Jamal. Best of luck. Thank you. Bye. So if you want to get in touch with us, we do have a new number, just like Jamal did. You can call us. It's 04871 Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethkit is here to answer your questions. If you prefer to text or you want to remain anonymous, that's also no problem. You can text us for 001 or via the free messaging app. Like Ludmilla, it's quite interesting when you're talking to Jamal there. Lots of us hear all of these terms and think, I couldn't possibly do that on my own. But you can start a process. And there's a small chance Jamal could go to the this person that he has the agreement with and sort of say look can I um, can I possibly say um, I'm going to start this legal process if, if something doesn't change and that could be the gateway to them taking action we always encourage that that amicable settlement should always be the the, the, the first um, the first um, Yes, approach. Yeah, um, and that's a preferred approach because it's you know it's up to the parties. There are no other um, parties involved in costs and uh, and the formalities. So, uh, but it really is 100% contingent on the other sides or the parties' uh, willingness uh, to resolve a dispute. So, if someone usually over the question of money, in when when things get get to this point, it's usually because the other side just does not either want to pay money uh, or just purely unable to pay. So one way or the other, even if you're trying to um, uh, negotiate something uh, amicably, it just it's there is an it's an impasse. <laughs> it's yeah. not possible unless there is something. Uh, there's an order from the authorities that forces the other side to do something about it. Um, so absolutely. But before you go to court, do try to figure out a settlement. Uh, figure out um, 
perhaps some kind of a payment plan that always yeah. um, that's always an option. Uh, what we often see is that people will come to us and say, well, but the contract says so, and he didn't do so, and so so therefore I, I have a case. Yes, but again, it's just a piece of paper. It's a contract. In order for this contract to have any meaning, you do need to enforce it through court. So it's a completely different exercise. Um, so you always need to weigh the, the costs and the risks and, and the time and the resources that go into trying to pursue this through court um, versus perhaps negotiating a, a smaller settlement. And we've had another question in for our guest. Our guest is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pletka. And this text is about a pardon request, Ludmiller. It says, what's the process or who do I send a pardon request? I was told I can request for a pardon to remove a deportation. No name on this, but do you have any advice? Well, I'll tell you, it's there isn't really a standardized process to do so. It's you Basically, what you're asking is something extraordinary because anything to do with pardon is an extraordinary uh, recourse. And it really depends on the type of deportation. It depends on uh, who was involved, so in terms of uh, who to send the pardon to. But um, if you've been told that and, and you know, the it's I guess the key is if, to figure out the, the recipient of your of your request. And once you have that, then it's just basically a letter, I would say, but make sure that it is in Arabic because it will be treated by the authorities and the official language here is Arabic. Um, so it's basically describing your situation, but be, be very succinct. Um, and then also the reasons for why you think you deserve the pardon. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly simple process. There isn't, there isn't really any special form or standardized um, system to follow. It's more about knowing uh, who to address it to. Uh, and that's basically as much as I can, as much help as I can give you. It's but generally exactly speaking, deportation, yeah, deportation uh, usually it's is for life. And so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's an extraordinary measure. Um, but you know, pardons do exist, in particular right before Ramadan. Uh, but mm. and anything, but deportations are generally known to be for life. And therefore, to lift something like this, you really need to um, have a very compelling case and know the people uh, to whom to address your claim. It's not something you could Facebook and ask, is it? It's uh, that's a difficult. And, and there's one. a zero story. You, you cannot even give any assurances to anyone. I mean, sure. it's just it's you can try if, um, but but manage your expectations. Okay, um, you get lots of questions from companies and shareholders in companies, whether they are minority shareholders or majority shareholders. And simple fact is that shareholders, stakeholders fall out, don't they? Uh, it's very difficult to uh, dissolve uh, partnerships like this. And it's a very, very intricate area of law. Anything like this that you're looking at? At the moment? Uh, well, it's exactly. So we've had actually several requests recently where, uh, let's say, a free zone company has, for simplicity's sake, two partners. And there's a majority shareholder and then there's a minority shareholder. And uh, the general understanding is that the whole idea behind minority and majority is that the majority shareholder obviously has majority of the vote, majority of control. And therefore, if they are following out, as you said, that that majority shareholder has the ability uh, to take control over the company. And by doing so, that would mean basically buying out or or squeezing out the um, the other shareholder and taking over the shares of that particular shareholder. Mm. And so that's the general understanding of having majority minority. In particular, that's um, that's a system that works in uh, in uh, Western jurisdictions. And usually uh, the the specific process uh, or the roadmap to um, to getting rid of your uh, of your uh, other shareholder is uh, written up in the uh, memorandum of uh, understanding or articles of incorporation. So these are the founding uh, uh, documents of 
a company. In the UAE, however, it's not so simple. So if, even if you have a, a particular process described in those founding documents, such as in the event I'm a majority shareholder and Tim is a minority shareholder and I want mm. to be able to get rid of you, um, it's uh, we can do one, two, three, four. I, I know I would never do that. <laughs> you would be, you would be though, Tim. <laughs> so, Ludmilla would definitely be the majority shareholder. <laughs> I'm just thinking, how did this happen to me? <laughs> so, but I will tell you the reality is such that it's not so simple just because you and I had, for example, agreed on some sort of a process in our founding structure and documents in process. In short, for me to get rid of you as a shareholder, I need to have your approval. Either I need to have your approval or I need to have a court order. That's okay. the only way. So uh, irrespective of what we have in our founding documents where we said, okay, there will be a voting process, there will be uh, uh, there'll be board resolutions and such, and then after that I'll be able to, <clears throat> to take over your shares. In practice here, unless you sign off uh, your shares to me or the court orders um, for some, you know, for you to transfer the shares to me, uh, then there's absolutely no way of um, for me to squeeze you, and it, it and it's irrespective also of the shareholder structure. So it's not just because let's say I'm 51, you're 49. You could be five, and I'm 95. Uh, and so the same sort of thing, because as long as you have any kind of ownership in my company, I will ultimately need your uh, your sign-off, which um, presents a lot of problems for companies that come in particular from the West or investors from the West. And this is what they're realizing right now, that in a way, I mean, the way they look at it is that this whole majority-minority is, is somewhat meaningless because it doesn't really give them the control that they believe um, that should come with that kind of structure. Obviously, it's not meaningless because it gives you many other benefits uh, while the company is running. It only becomes more challenging uh, when the shareholders fall out. And, uh, you know, and the idea, if you think about it logically, the, why the courts are and the authorities are more conservative about allowing for a majority shareholder to squeeze the minorities because it's also obviously prone for abuse. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's mm. it's really with that in mind. But um, But the idea is that a lot of companies um, foreign companies that have set up uh, corporations here or businesses here under that kind of structure are now finding themselves quite, um, you know, in, sort of in a, in a difficult predicament because they were expecting to be able to control the company and they really cannot. And and I will tell you even more, uh, even it was even more complicated is that the court cannot even issue an order uh, um, ordering Tim, for example, to sell his shares. The only thing the court can do is to order liquidation of the company. So that makes it even more complicated. Yeah. So this is an important piece of advice for those business owners only because we see these kind of requests quite often. So therefore, your best bet is to try to, once again, reach an amicable settlement. Okay, we're going to try and squeeze a really, really brief uh, question for you. Um, I have a case against me where I lost um, and we have appealed. My lawyer informed me that the court have put a travel ban as the case is still in process. Can they do that? And is there a way out as I need to travel for business? <clears throat> well, uh, there are, there can be a way out. Uh, and this it, it's a, this a travel ban. It sounds like this was um, if, if there's a criminal case, then basically, no, you cannot. The travel ban stays in from the time the criminal case is filed uh, until it's finally resolved. Uh, but if there's a civil case, and it sounds like maybe that's sort of what happened, but uh, it's not clear. Um, it's it's true. Generally speaking, travel bans do not come in uh, when it's a, it's, a, it's a civil case because civil case is a commercial matter. So why would a travel ban uh, be um, 
relevant. Uh, but there are ways if the other side can show that, for example, you are at risk of flight, um, then um, that then can ask the court to issue a sort of temporary travel ban. You can now challenge it and go back and show to the court why why it is that you are not at risk of flight, for example. In other words, that you're not at risk of running away. Um, and uh, there, so there is a way of, of uh, lifting it if you have that kind of evidence. But if 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 you have no connection to the UAE, if you have no residency here or no bank accounts, just be mindful that that request might not be granted. What about guarantor, uh, a passport guarantee? Um, that is um, that's a system that used to um, to work before, and right. I would never advise anybody to to act as guarantors mm. for anyone, mm. just because, especially when the person is leaving the country. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's they yeah, it's it's very very complicated. So, but certainly it exists in the past, but it depends on the type of case. Okay. In this particular case, I'm not sure that that I mean, it would be up to the uh, um, the prosecutor or the judge to decide whether they want to accept somebody else's passport as guarantee. Final question, very quickly, faculty, and it's a familiar question as well. My labor contract has a clause not working for a competitor for a year after resignation. Although I don't intend to leave, if I ever do, I can't work in another field other than what I do because that's what I know. If the company doesn't give me an NOC, my question is, if I find a job with a competitor but they give me a different position that doesn't have anything to do with what I do at my current job, is that considered uh, poorly? You know, it's, it, it is a lengthy um, question, but in short, uh, this you don't need to worry because the one-year sort of non-compete is, is, in most cases, I'll tell you from experience, most cases is not enforceable. And in most cases, it's not enforceable for a number of reasons. One, because in order for a non-compete to be enforceable, it has to be very, uh, very particularly drafted. It has to be very tight. It has to be very, uh, very succinct. It has to be very reasonable. And a non-compete, based on what you've described, basically disallows you to work from any for anyone practicing your trade is never going to be considered as reasonable because it's too overly broad and it basically denies you an ability to earn your livelihood so that it will not be enforced um, so it's without having seen the, the contract I will um, you know, I'm willing to uh, uh, to, to give you the assurances that you don't need to worry about it, even if the if the company will, the other company will give you a job with the same description as before, um, just because. And and uh, and there's another element to it: is the courts do not in, in this country do not give injunctions or do not grant injunctions. In other words, the court would even if the other uh, con- uh, company took you to court they could not ask the court to give injunction against you uh, to prevent you from working. That's just a, that's a remedy that's not available or exercised in this jurisdiction at this point. The only thing they could do is that they could order a judgment for compensation for the damages that the company has suffered because of you competing. But it's a very difficult exercise and different, different, uh, difficult case to prove. Therefore, in short, you don't need to worry. Okay, that's all we've got time for on Drive Live Talks Legal. As we always say, get your questions in early. You'll have another chance to chat to Ludmilla next week. Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pleska. Welcome back and good Thank to have you, you back on the programme. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.